Hey guys, I just want to take a quick moment to ask for your help. With what I've been able to do in a short amount of time, I feel like this podcast should be recognized as a top quality art podcast. So, with that in mind, I decided to nominate the Postmodern Art Podcast into the 16th Annual People's Choice Podcast Awards. The Podcast Awards are a global award ceremony honoring the best podcast as voted by you, the people. Several amazing podcasts have won in the past, like WTF with Mark Marin, 30 for 30 podcast, and the BS Report. Also, Chris Jericho hosted the 10th annual ceremony, so I, I find that pretty cool. I've nominated the podcast in the arts category, obviously, and I need your help to make sure we secure the nomination. From now until July 31st, you can sign up at podcastawards.com and vote for the Postmodern Art Podcast for free. If enough people vote, we can be a part of the official slate announced in August and be in the running to win the Arts Award and be a part of a historic group of art podcasts like Dad's Drinking Bourbon, the the Beerus Podcast. We like drinking? Wait. They've had to be, like, some of the first winners when this is starting out, right? Hold on. Those are the winners for the past five years? Is that what this podcast is missing? I had to get drunk? I... No. No, no, no. No, this won't do. No, we... We need an art podcast to win the Art Podcast Award. This needs... To be a podcast made for the arts. Hashtag for the arts. Make that trending. Look, in all seriousness, I'm sure Dad's Drinking Bourbon has a great podcast. And I'm sure they probably talk about art in one aspect and another. But I honestly feel like this podcast has made leaps and bounds since I first started this in September of last year. And I would love to see it recognized as one of the best that could potentially be out there. If nothing else, maybe the recognition could help bring more sponsors to the podcast, and then I could be able to turn around and make more amazing content for you guys. So, if you want to help make this podcast more than what it already is and make it something absolutely amazing, go to podcastawards.com, sign up for free, nominate the podcast, keep voting, and get the word out there as much as possible. We need to have an art podcast win the Art Podcast Award. So vote for the 16th Annual People's Choice Podcast Awards today. Postmodern Art Podcast, the podcast dedicated to giving artists who are wowing the world over the platform they deserve. I am your host, Nathan Raglan, and I am pleased to bring you guys today's episode. Today we have Austin Archer, an actor, director, singer, and songwriter who's been popping off on TikTok with his catchy songs and classic clapbacks to the ignorance present on the internet today. I had a blast with this chat and could have probably chatted with him for hours, so I know you guys will enjoy it as well. Go support him in the links below, especially listening to his podcast, People Pleaser, with Austin Archer. 
The vibe it gives off is very similar to this podcast. So if you enjoy this podcast, you'll love People Pleaser. Trust me, I'm only a few episodes in, but I really need to catch up because I am absolutely loving it. If you do enjoy this podcast, support it by liking, sharing, commenting, and subscribing to the podcast, or going to the merch shop in the link below and repping the podcast that way. You could also join me on the Apocalypse Podcast Network Discord server, where you can chat more about this podcast and others in this amazing network. In fact, let's hear about another marvelous podcast in the Apocalypse Podcast Network. Hot Goss with Trash Comedy is the podcast where we trade sweet, sweet facts like they're dirty little pieces of gossip. We're a New York-based comedy team, and we're joined each week with a funny, delightful friend. After each person shares their facts, we rate those facts from, oh my god, that's not hot, that's as cold as the coldest ice you've ever seen, to, oh my god, that's so spicy, my mouth is gone. So if that made sense to you, then please join us on Mondays, wherever you get your podcasts. And now, without further ado... Please enjoy the Postmodern Art Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing excellent, absolutely. <laughs> I'm actually honored to be actually talking to you because I uh, I decided as part of like preparing for you whatnot, aside from obviously the TikToks, I decided to go a little bit more of a crash course into your stuff as a whole. Um, first off, I absolutely love your podcast, People Pleaser. Absolutely in love with it. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Yes, it's one of those I I listen to because I I work overnights, so I'm usually up until like you know four or five o'clock in the morning anyway. So I just spent like listen to four or five of the episodes, like the podcasting one, the the making movies ones, comedy. Like I love that kind of like behind the scenes content. It's a kind of similar vibe I try to go with this podcast. So I love that man. Um, my podcast is like the least consumed piece of content that I make. <laughs> Every time I'm on someone else's podcast, they're like, what do you want to plug? And I'm like, well, I'm not trying to plug the TikTok. Everyone knows about that. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to go listen to my podcast because no one knows about that. So I bet even the guests are like, wait, you have a podcast? (laughs) Totally. Yesterday I was on a podcast and the guy was like, do you have any projects coming out that you want to plug? And I was like, well, like I've got an album coming out later this year. Um, Like, my podcast, like no one listens to my podcast, and he goes, "Yeah, I didn't even know you had one." And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I, "I'm just waiting for that one moment to where you're like plugging the podcast, be like, oh, it's wonderful. It's glad to hear that you're finally starting a podcast.'" It's like, "No, nah, I've had this thing for a while now." <laughs> about a year and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed with it. Like just seeing the the kind of people that you bring on and like different topics, like just the wide range of topics you talk about more than anything else. I absolutely love it. Yeah, we're, it's a different thing. Every People are always like, what's it about? I'm like, oh, it's about everything. It's about people <laughs> at the end of the day more than anything else. About me just like talking with people because I like talking. And um, that's that's what a million other podcasts are about. Um, but I always figure I – think, I think the thing about a podcast is it's very similar to like a content channel on the internet. Mm-hmm. It's like – really that unique about the idea of making like short sketches on the internet no one out no one no one who's doing it right now really came up with the idea um but the thing that sells it is you is like the person if people like you and they like 
negative and they like the way that you say things, then they're going to, then they might like your show. Absolutely. I, I mean, that's, it's something that I, I tried to go forth with my podcast as well. Just like, these are like the people that I'm bringing on yourself included are people that I love and I absolutely admire. And so like, putting out my opinion while also trying to do what I can to give artists and such like a platform that I think they absolutely deserve for all the hard work they put into this content that they push out there. Like that's, that's my end goal at the end of the day. So. Yeah, absolutely. Where are you by the way? Uh, Georgia. Uh, you're, are you still in your, uh, apartment in North Hollywood? I don't see the blanket for it, but. <laughs> yeah. Blanket Fort recording studio in my one bedroom apartment in North Hollywood. You got it. There that's go. it. <laughs> See, I told you I did my research. Oh. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. There you go. Um, I also got a chance to listen to your latest album, Beautiful Things, which is absolutely stunning. Like, I absolutely love what you did with that. The the different, like, like the different flows, the, the vibe of it all, more anything else. Like, wonderful job on your end. I know we're going to talk more about it, like, throughout the podcast, but still, like, I, I, I love it. I really appreciate you listening to it and taking the time. Like, that means a lot. Thank you. I mean, it's one of those, yeah. like, at least for me, whenever I bring on guests and such, I want to at least make sure I do my due diligence and not just be like, like, especially in your case, yes, you're the TikTok guy. How, how did the TikToks come along? <laughs> like, yeah. don't, don't get me wrong. We're going to talk about it, but I also know that you're more than just the person that did a few funny songs on TikTok. You have a well-rounded resume that I was very impressed with, so. Oh, I appreciate that. I I, I feel like sometimes I need to do better research when I have people on my show. Sometimes, like, one thing about the person, I'm like, cool, you you do this. Like, I, I see them online, and I'm like, oh, I know them from this, and I want to talk to them about that. And then in the course of the conversation, I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. This done some stuff. Yeah, so. Oh, no. Yeah. So I, I had that somewhat realization with – um. I got to interview, what was it? The guy's name was Joe Horn. He directed one of my favorite like animated shows growing up called Class of 3000, um, which was Andre mm -hmm. 3000's animated show whenever he got out of Outcast. Um, so like I got to talk to him, and like as I did my research and as I was talking or whatnot, I didn't realize just how much history he had because he had worked on uh, the Boondocks, that animated show. He worked on yeah. he worked on Pee Wee's Playhouse, doing the the El Mondo sections or like the animated sections on those. He was a storyboard artist for the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the original Sonic the Hedgehog series. Like the guy had history, and I was like, I just wanted to talk to you about Class of Three Thousand. <laughs> So, wow. Yeah, yeah I, had, uh, I had this woman on my show one time that I wanted to talk to about um, abundance and about like mindfulness and like bringing abundance into your life. And while we were in the conversation, she was telling me all about like uh, this period of her life where she like toured with Janet Jackson and all this stuff. And I was like, I had no idea any of this <laughs> stuff. Like, I just knew that she was like a, a mindfulness coach. I didn't know that she like used to dance with Janet Jackson or anything, you know? Yeah. But, <laughs> it's, it's always, it's always amazing what kind of stuff they kind of just bring out of nowhere. <laughs> kind of fun to find that stuff out on the show. You're like, Oh damn, really? Yeah. Like, you know, it, it, yeah. in that, in that tiny little instance, you were like one of the audience because I bet there's a bunch of people in the audience that are also like, Oh wow. That's, that's something I never realized today. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. There we go. Um, I have been recording this little intro bit of just you and me talking. Are you fine with me including this as part of the podcast? Yeah, I do that all the time too. I'm always like just going and to, to get people into the conversation. Yes. And then they're like, oh, you're recording? And I'm like, yeah, I tricked you. <laughs> I, 
I don't want them getting weirded out by the fact that it's like, and now we're recording, so get your video voice on, because here we go. Just like, ah, we're going, you know? That That's fair. It's one of those, I, um, there we go. Well, I, I only started doing it uh, this year, as a matter of fact, because I had one guest, like, me and him were just talking for this little intro bit, and then I realized halfway through, like, this is all stuff that we should have been talking about in the podcast. Screw it, I'm going to include it in the intro. <laughs> like, th- this is going to be a thing now. That happens all the time when you have people over. Is like when I have people over to the apartment instead mm-hmm. of on Zoom, it's worse because I like have them come in, I get them something to drink, and we're sort of like shooting the shit for a while before we like get going. And half the time we'll be talking and I'll be like, wait, 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 stop, stop. This is all really good stuff. <laughs> Just like hold, save it. There you yeah. go. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I I totally get that. It's one of those. I'm I've I've been doing this like solely on Discord online stuff ever since I've started this podcast. I'm interested to know how the in person recording would be different whenever I actually do get an opportunity to do that. Like I feel like at least with this podcast, concerning the wealth of different people that I'm trying to bring in, big or small or whatnot, online still probably gonna be the more primary way to record. So yeah, online super fun. Um, because I've been able to like when I first started my podcast, it had to be people who were in the LA area Mm -hmm. because I would have people over to my apartment. And that was kind of the thing is like, you would come over and like get inside the blanket fort with me. And it was a blanket fort when I first started, it was like, I had these dividers that I set up and I had like these big heavy blankets that I would put over them. And then I would like kind of drape that up to like a wall and have me and my guests would like sit in there. Cause I had very tall ceilings yeah. in my, in my apartment and it was hard to get the room noise out of the microphones. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of created this little like blanket fort space to, to record episodes and I would have guests over and we would get inside the fort. Um, and then I got better microphones that cut out that were, that were better at cutting out the room noise. And so I stopped recording in the fort and then the pandemic happened and it allowed me to, uh, talk to people who weren't in LA and I was like oh I should have been doing this all along I should have been doing <laughs> zoom interviews and stuff instead of being like no if you're not in California then we can't do a show yeah um, yeah that, that's yeah. Uh, again it's it's I, I guess that's like both the beauty and the curse of the internet the fact that you could talk to anyone but also anyone could also talk as you've established with some of your vines and such people can certainly talk or yeah, TikTok, oh, yeah. say. <laughs> uh-huh oh yeah oh yeah all right, Austin, before we get started, I must ask the icebreaker question I ask for every single podcast. What is your most unpopular art opinion? My most unpopular art opinion? Yeah. Ooh, shit. I got to think about that. Can I swear on your show? Oh, I don't give a fuck. Go for it. All right. <laughs> um, my most unpopular art opinion. Oh, my God. Like, that. that's a good question. I'm hoping this is like the hardest question, so every other question is easy in comparison. <laughs> okay, I actually know what it is. Okay. Uh, and I posted this one time in our unpopular opinions on Reddit. Okay. And I got lambasted for it. And I don't necessarily know if it's like an art. It is an art opinion. Um, and it's this. It's that people shouldn't be judged based on which forms of content they enjoy most when it comes to storytelling and how you consume okay. stories. Um, and people tend to get this when it comes to like people being like, I don't like podcasts, like podcasts just don't do it for me. And it's like, okay, like no one's going to judge you. If you say, I just don't, I tried podcasts. I don't like it. No one's going to judge you. If you say like, I don't know, like I, I personally 
don't really like watching YouTube videos. Like I, they just okay. there's something about the style. You know what I mean? I fair. I fair. But I people, But people will judge you if you don't like reading novels. Like if you don't like reading long books. And I, this is a recent opinion of mine that I'm like, I've never been a reader. My entire I, I, I read short stories. I read plays. I read screenplays. When I have to, I actually don't like reading screenplays. I think I hate the screenplay format. I think it's like the ugliest format. And I get it. It's not meant to be pleasing. It's meant to be a textbook that's a, a list of um, instructions for the people making the movie. Right. So I get it. Uh, but I just think it's it, it doesn't read smoothly to me. I'd much rather read a play, which to me reads much more eloquently. It, 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 yeah. Uh, but um, I'm not a big reader of of long form prose. I think it takes too long to get through the story. Like you're reading this book and they're spending a whole entire chapter on some aspect of this, this character's backstory that would never be in the movie. Cause it takes up way too much runtime. Yeah. And it's just like this, this one aspect of their backstory that sort of gives you some insight into something that they're going to do later on in the story. But we're in there for like two chapters in this aspect of their backstory. Instead of just like, mentioning it in a sentence so that it's something you know i just sometimes with pros i'm like yo can we get to it like come on and that's me personally but people's feeling about that is that you're stupid if you don't read books like reading is a sign of intelligence and it's the only form of storytelling where like we associate whether or not you do it with how smart you are and i'm like i i i i say nay to that there you go i say some of us have ADHD and can't do it, and we need shorter form, uh, more streamlined stories. I was figuring people would have that opinion because you're going on Reddit saying that, you know, hey, there are certain ways to consume stuff. It's not based on stuff like and And Reddit tends to be tends to think of themselves as the end all be all when it comes to content as a whole and you know yeah reddit loves to take content from other platforms and as long as it's on reddit it's okay exactly. but if you go to that platform and consume it there then you're some kind of like nerd or exactly. like so, it's it's like wait you guys are watching tiktok on reddit but you but you won't go to TikTok. You'll just watch it on the TikTok subreddit. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's yeah. A, it's a unique beast that they've tried to curate themselves. I mean, I I'm on Reddit, but I'm mainly on Reddit to help with like podcast stuff more or less. But yeah, uh -huh. no, I I totally get where you're coming from. Like it's at the end of the day, like it shouldn't matter if you read a, a two thousand page book or if you watch a two minute video on YouTube. At the end of the day, you should be enjoying content as you should. Is that basically the opinion you're trying to go for? Yes, that whatever is the the medium that speaks to you or that works for you the most, you shouldn't be shamed for that. Like there are people who just who, who, there are people who like a movie to them is like they can take it or leave it. They enjoy it fine, but it's not like something that but like to me it's like movies are like my goddamn life. Like they're a major part of my personality. Yeah. Like the movie that I grew up movies shape so many aspects of my person personality and there are other people people like my partner who like it's books like it's it's all books like it's books is where she connects with characters books is where uh she finds herself in stories and goes that reminds me of me that, that you know that books are where she likes to escape to for me it's movies and, and television and like and i i know that that seems simplistic because everyone likes movies and television but there are people there are degrees to which people enjoy them yeah. and there are people who 
feel a little bit more like personally attached to one form over another. And it's fine, whichever form you're more connected to. Exactly. I mean, that's what it should be at the end of the day. You should just enjoy what you enjoy, love what you love. I mean, that, that when it comes to content, because at the end of the day, like it's it's a good medium for a lot of people to express themselves more than anything else. I mean, at the end of the day, is that a hill that you want to die on? It's escapism, and it shouldn't be work. It shouldn't be – when I'm reading a book, it feels like I'm doing homework. It feels like I'm like I'm, – I'm working through that thing. I should enjoy it. I should be – I should be lost in it. I shouldn't be able to put it down. Exactly. It, you know, people talk about page turner. Just I couldn't stop reading. It's not my experience. It's it's work. I have to like focus on getting through a chapter. Exactly. So, yeah. But nevertheless, like I said before, is that a hill that you're willing to die on? Oh, um, uh, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll fucking go toe to toe with any goddamn person that wants to fight me out there about it. But it, uh. I don't know. Like, it's more of an opinion that I've I've just discovered in the last like year or two, and I've been like, you know what? Actually, I think that that's legit. Like, people, sh- it, there's nothing wrong with liking certain forms of storytelling more than others. Yeah. If it makes you feel any better, I 100% agree with you. And with that, I can't think of a better way to start the Postmodern Art Podcast. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Nathan Raglan. Uh, feel free to subscribe or follow whatever streaming platform you prefer. I'm a part of the Apocalypse Podcast Network. Go to ApocalyptsePodcastNetwork.com for more about this podcast and other amazing ones in the network. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PostModArtPod for future updates and guest announcements, including today's guest. <clears throat> he is an actor, singer, songwriter, director, scriptwriter, and a TikTok sensation whose amazing music matches well with his sensational clapbacks to the internet's ignorance. Welcome to the podcast, Austin Archer. That was a really solid um, log line for who I am. That was great. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I try to take time to make sure I give a proper introduction to my guests. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Now I'm actually getting a chance to sit down and chat. This is something that I'm personally excited to you know sit down and talk about just your well-rounded career more than anything else at this point. But before we really get started in what you've made, I want to go back just a little bit. I want to know the origin stories of Austin. What got you interested in art in the first place? Oh man. You know, like I use, I kind of wear this as a badge of pride. I did, I did my whole life and I still kind of do. Like I grew up doing theater and stuff and people would always ask the question to theater kids you know, actors would be hanging out after a show. We'd go to Denny's or something like that after the show. Mm-hmm. And everyone would be like, how'd you get it? How'd you get into theater? How'd you start doing it? And most people started like in junior high or high school. Right. You know, they took a theater class because they needed to fill out an elective. They they ended up liking it. They, they discovered, oh my God, this is what I want to do with my life. Um, with me, it was just always there. It's just what I've done my entire life. Um when I was four years old and um, my my siblings were my older siblings were in this performing group called Singers Unlimited that our parents put us into. Okay. It was like we went around singing and dancing. We sang and danced pop songs and musical theater songs in these groups. They put kids into like big it's kind of like a like a class where you would like learn singing and dancing and then you would perform like at a theme park or something. And uh, we would do like a big spring concert every year. Um and I wanted to be in it from the earliest you can be in it is four. And I was like, we get me in there. And, uh, and then when my mom would go do community theater shows, I'd be like, well, I want to be in the ensemble if I can. So as a kid, I was always going and tagging along with my mom and being in the shows. And, um, 
my my heroes as early as I can remember were like old Renaissance painters and stuff. Like I just I wanted to be an artist. I I was obsessed with Van Gogh and like Monet and um, Renoir and and like that that was my jam as a kid. And I also like I just like I I had this attachment to being an actor as well like i i was as, as i was discussing earlier like i was very moved by movies and by film acting and and things that i would see there and then i would go and see pieces of theater you know that would be touring through town from like you know the, the broadway tours that come through town i grew up in salt lake city utah um and i would just be like i have to do this at some point in my life like i this this needs to be the goal and um i just never really stopped never I just stopped yeah no, I, just kept doing that stuff i mean that, it, it's good to know that there was that spark like super duper young that you've always wanted to be in some aspect of that one way or another was there a point for you where it just kind of went from just like a love and a desire to do that kind of stuff to a passion and potentially making it your career yeah there's been a lot of those okay. um <laughs> think about i think the 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 career arc for a lot of artists is instead of it being like a kind of like swooping up trajectory or anything it's kind of like lots of peaks and valleys you know so there's lots of moments where you go oh my god this is it I'm, I'm doing it i'm making money doing it and then in a year you're like i'm no longer making money doing it yeah. and then you have to weather that valley and then come back and go oh my god i'm making money doing it again i'm do i'm doing you know and um I start. I I started making money at a young age doing this stuff because I got into uh, commercial and television acting when I was young, and um, would do local commercials and TV shows and stuff like that. And as a kid, making a thousand bucks for a day of work was like the craziest shit yeah. in the world, you know. And, and so I, I always had money from acting, and then through my early twenties, uh, there was a whole period in my early twenties where like my only job was being an actor and I lived in Salt Lake where my rent was like $300 a month. So I, I lived with very little overhead yeah. like that. And like my monthly weed bills, cause I was buying weed all the time <laughs> uh, and like, you know, booze and stuff um, was like the only things that I was, I was really spending money on. And I, I was doing like four plays at once and it felt really cool. It was like, I would, I would be, doing a show at one of like the equity houses in town that was like a pretty decent paycheck. Mm -hmm. And then I would be like directing a show over at some community theater and choreographing a show at some high school. And then like rehearsing a show at like some other smaller up and coming theater. And I would, through all of those different gigs, I would get enough money together to like make it work and, and make enough, you know, to, for my, uh, meager um what it cost me to get by right. um and that really felt that felt cool because I, I didn't have a day job or anything and i was paying all my bills just as an actor i wasn't rich or anything like that but i was uh, getting it done and then i moved to new york city and it's harder to um cut it in new york with trying to string together gigs like you got to have a day job you got to have something to make it work and um uh like I said, peaks and valleys and also moving to a new town will kind of stop your work in its tracks because I had a well, I had, a, I have a really good reputation in Salt Lake city. So if I, when I was living there, it wasn't hard for me to like be, be in demand. I was always working. I always had, had 
too many projects to choose from. Moved to New York, nobody knows who I am. I go from having too many projects to zero projects, and I'm just a waiter again. Um, and then I moved from New York to uh, Los Angeles, and the most recent kind of renaissance period in my career has been the last like year and a half. And it's this whole thing that's happened on TikTok and the internet where um, for the first time in my life, I actually have like an audience for my work, not just work that I, you know, show up in a TV show or, or people who like, uh, you know, like when I lived in Salt Lake, like there were a lot of people who knew me in the local theater community yeah. and knew, knew me from doing plays and stuff. But this is the first time that I've had like a, a national and an international audience uh, paying attention to stuff that I do and my music and things like that. And um, again, I recognize it from a lifetime of doing art as uh, one of the latest of many different peaks. And I assume a valley is coming at some point, um, but I'm just trying to ride this latest peak right now. Yeah, you're, you're trying to enjoy the summit while you can before you come crashing and tumbling back down to the valley, huh? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I mean, I mean that that's fair. I mean, I, I I I would hope at least in this case the valley isn't as steep as what it may have been in the past with like dealing with New York and all that kind of stuff. But still, like I understand where you're coming from. Like you're doing amazing stuff out there right now and you're getting all these incredible opportunities. And from what I could tell, like you've you've had several great opportunities. Like you said, you know, growing up, like just starting off just being an actor yourself, uh whether it be in local commercials or TV shows, one of the TV shows I was actually surprised by is the fact that your first roles was in touch by an angel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your IMDb yeah, tells was, a lot. <laughs> that was, um, that was a TV show that, that shot in Utah where I'm from and oh. like have all, the, all the local actors in Utah have touched by an angel on their resume. Okay. Cause it was like, it was like the, the biggest gig you could get um, as a, a local film actor in Utah was like, that was the TV show to get on. And, uh, the, the other option after that was Everwood came to town on the CW, uh, yeah, okay. on the WB at the time and shot in Utah. And so I was on Everwood as well. Um, but like those, those were the TV shows you could be on. And so those were the shows that I was on. Trust me as, as someone that's from Georgia, if I wanted to actually go out there and try to be an actor, I think my best opportunity would be anything Tyler Perry does. At this point, yeah. <laughs> although I will say t Georgia has really grown as basically Hollywood South because a lot of the big studios come down here like Marvel and such because we have a lot of like uh, green screen, green screen lots and such. So like they'll do yeah. some of their like CGI stuff in a lot of these, you know, I around Atlanta and such. Atlanta's huge. Yeah, Atlanta's Atlanta's a big deal right now Absolutely. in the film industry. It's one of those I definitely need to go forth because I uh, I went to school for filmmaking. Funny enough, uh, I need to like finish up my last like semester of classes or whatnot and get that degree and like really go out yeah. there and do it. I can already hear my mom being like, "You need to do this, Nathan." Um, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> but um, at, like obviously, like you know, like we were establishing, touched by an angel. That wasn't obviously the only opportunity you got. You got several amazing opportunities to work on you know films and shows, big and small and such. What would you say is probably your best experience when it came to acting so far? It's definitely not anything I've ever done on a film set. Um, and, and that's not that's not uh, to throw shade at anyone that I've ever worked with on a film set. I've worked with a lot of really, really cool people. Right. Um, and like, you, you know, like we're saying, it's like the thing about being an actor is and, and, and being an artist really is like 
if you do it long enough, you're going to have lots of these, as you said, like opportunities where it feels like, okay, this is the moment where I really break it open. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of always waiting for the moment where you're like, this is the thing that's going to really break me open. And, um, all those, every TV show I've ever done or every like big commercial I've ever gotten, I've always thought like, this is a big arrival moment for me. And it never really has been, unfortunately. Like I've done, like, I think the biggest show I ever did was Mindhunter on Netflix and yeah. like to show a lot of people the scene. And, um, it, it was a fantastic opportunity to work on it. I mean, I got to work with David Fincher, who's like one of the, like, like most well-respected directors in Hollywood. Absolutely. And like, what a great opportunity to be on set with that guy. And, and Jonathan Groff's like the nicest famous person I've ever worked with. Um, but like that show was five days of filming and of, it was five days of my life. And I got back to New York and I went to my agent and I was like, cool. So what's next? And they were just like, we're just back to square one. We're just auditioning again. You know, you're just an un unemployed actor. And I was like, yeah, it, it, things like that really taught me that like, these these little flashes, these moments aren't, um, they're not, they're not, they don't, they don't necessarily mean like you've arrived. Like right. you, it's cool to have, but you need to just get back to work all the time. And um, I, th I think my favorite things that I've ever gotten to do as an actor are on stage. Then there's hey. a lot, you know, I, um, I, I, Growing up in Utah, there was like this this one particular theater that I always wanted to work at. It was called it's called Pioneer Memorial Theater, and it's this um, regional house that is like a big hub for Broadway actors to come and work there. And it's sort of like the Broadway house of Salt Lake City. And growing up there, I was like that was like my big high water mark. Was like if I can work there, I'll feel I'll feel good about my myself and feel like I I, I can be competitive as an actor. And and then I wound up getting to do like a lot of really great roles at that theater um, in my twenties. And like, I did like roles that I never thought I would get to play at this really great house at this really, really great, well-respected theater. Um, but I think my favorite thing that I've ever gotten to do, if I had to pick just one or the thing that really made me like um, feel like I, I, I can kind of do anything as an actor that anyone wants to throw at me is I did this show a couple of years ago at a theater in Salt Lake called Plan B Theater Company. They're a small professional theater company there. Um, it was called Good Standing, and it was it's a one-man show where I played uh, 16 different characters. Ooh. And it was so it's just me on stage for 90 minutes playing uh, 16 different people. And um, it was it was just it was like it, it was it was you know I, it was one of those you see people do stuff like that, and you're like, how the hell does someone memorize? 90 minutes of 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 stuff and we just did it one day at a time you know we just came in and we were like today's this page today you know we would do two pages or something like that every day that i'd come in for rehearsal and then we would just add on the next two pages the next day and um it was like as an actor it was like you don't get those experiences often to to do something like that you know right. and so it was a rare special experience like I imagine for you, it was probably one of the most like grueling experiences to try to remember all that kind of stuff. But it was also probably one of the most rewarding to like be able to go back and be like, I I did this. This was like you said, it was a one man show. I did all of this. I proclaimed it, and people seemed to love it. So there you go. Yeah, I was struggling with um, panic attacks on stage at the time too. I, I so I used to have panic attacks pretty regularly in my life, like almost on a daily basis, and 
they never really happened on stage, but I was in a phase of my life where they were starting to creep into my work and starting to get up, it ha- happen on stage more and more. Um, and it would usually be like, I would feel a burgeoning panic attack coming on while I'd be on stage. And I was always able to sort of like tamp it down because it just was like, this can't happen right now. Like I, I we're here in front of an audience, this can't happen. Mm-hmm. And so I would just sort of work through it. Um, but while I was doing that show, I had just gotten done with the run of another show where I had a panic attack, full blown panic attack on stage in front of 950 people sold out house. And I had a, one of the worst panic attacks I've ever had. And it was on stage and I couldn't leave. And so I did the entire show while having this panic attack. And it was just a really surreal experience. Cause I'm up on stage just with an inner monologue that's just screaming and I've got my hand in my pocket and I'm pinching my leg because I'm trying to divert some of the sensory like feeling of like all this, like this feeling of like fire in my chest to my leg. If I can divert it, maybe I can focus on the scene that I'm in. Right. Uh, and then, so I had that in my head as I went to go do this one man show and I battled through anxiety every night doing the show. I, we, the show would start and I'd come out on stage and I'd have this thought of like, what happens if I freak out? It's yeah. only me out there. It's only me. And, and, and no one can, no one can get the show back on, on the rails. If I um, go up or if I, and I, uh, I was able to do it obviously, but the weird, the interesting thing about it too, when you talk about maybe one of the most challenging things is from a process standpoint, it was one of the easiest things I've ever been a part of. Like, really? the director and the writer were so clear on what they wanted okay. that that every day was a piece of cake. We came into rehearsal and we basically staged that section of the script mm-hmm. and that was it. And we didn't like, it didn't take a lot of like hand wringing or, did, you know, long, deep conversations about what it is that we were doing. There wasn't a lot of like me and the director not getting, not seeing eye to eye. We just were on the same page every single day and it really like, it was smooth, you know, yeah. it was, it was easy. And, um, again, rare and special when that happens, when everyone's on the same page, when it just feels easy, usually there's a little bit of conflict, but there wasn't on that project. Well, I mean, I'm glad to hear that. And I'm glad to hear that at, at the end of the day, like you were able to, to do a great performance at the yeah. end of the day. I mean, you know, acting is, you know, I would say probably your bread and butter, like the thing that you kind of developed more than anything else. But I have to ask, as someone that has had their hand on both sides of the spectrum, do you prefer acting or directing more? Oh, man. Um, Probably acting if I had to choose. But they're just so different. I get this question a lot about the different things that I do because I'm a songwriter as well and, like, I make music and – um, I get this question a lot, like, which do you perform more? And I just, they're so, they're, they live in such different worlds to me. Yeah. Uh, they're so different in, in practice. And so it's hard for me to like, to, to prioritize because I get different things from the different ones. I acting for me is this chance to step outside of myself and to step into the shoes of other people and to like, really, when I'm acting, I'm, I'm imitating, like I'm, I'm trying to imitate things that I've seen and people that I've seen. I, I always get my characters like from an amalgamation of like different people that I've met. Yeah. Um, but directing feels like 
my chance to sort of paint with like like acting is I'm serving the director. Mm-hmm. When I'm acting, I'm I'm in service of the director and the and the playwright. Mm-hmm. I am in service of their story and of the thing that they're trying to accomplish. So if the director's not happy with what I'm doing, I need to figure out what I need to do to 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 help them achieve what they're trying to achieve. And I also need to try to make sure that I'm telling the story that the the playwright or the screenwriter wrote. So and I and I really like doing that. I like being in a project in the capacity where I am there to be of service to someone else's vision. Um, whereas as a director, it's my thing. Um, I feel a lot more pressure when I'm directing uh, because I feel like it's my responsibility to not only make sure that the thing is good, mm-hmm. that like the, the end result is good, but also that everyone enjoys the process. Like I want to make sure that people who come and work on a music video that I'm directing or people who come and work into a play that I'm directing, enjoy it. I don't want them to leave and go, yeah, Austin's an asshole, but like, he's good. You know, and I've worked with people like that who who I'm like, that person's talented as shit. Like that person's like really good. They just need to like work on their bedside manner because they're kind of an asshole. And I I think it's the director's responsibility to like kind of set the tone Mm -hmm. in the room and to make sure everyone feels comfortable and to make sure everyone feels like, this person at the helm won't steer us wrong. Like this person at the helm knows what they want to do and has a, you know, like, but there's also that pressure because if the thing is bad, it's on me as the director, as an actor, I can, I can always blame the script or the director. I can be like, (laughs) yeah, that was a shit script. Like that was a bad, I, there's nothing I could do. The script sucks. But um, when I'm writing, cause I'm also a writer, like when I've written it or when I've directed it, it's if it sucks, it's my fault. And so I but I also feel like my opportunity to like really express something and show something that I want to say is heightened when I'm the writer or the director. Oh, if that makes sense. No, I I totally get that. Trust me, like I said before, I myself I I've done both aspects, not so much acting, but as much as the filmmaking. I understand where you talk about when it's more or less like when you're a director, you're like you said yourself, it's your tools that you're basically you know dealing with. It's like you're bearing your soul out to them, and you're hoping that they're putting that the actors that you have are putting forth like the vision that you have in mind because this is like this is as much of you as you want it to be. So you want it to be a good representation of you more than anything else. Even if it's something as ridiculous as you know what was that one movie that you're a part of, uh, like Alien Country or whatnot, to where like it, it's a ridiculous scenario, but like if you were the one directing it, like you want it to be as much of you as it was, you know, the people that are playing it. So, yeah. In Boston, who directed Alien Country, great example. Um, he uh, he made that movie so that he could have a calling card because it's very hard to break into um, the film industry in, in the indie sphere if you don't have at least one film that you can sort of say, this is a good example of what I would bring to your project. Mm-hmm. Cause he wants to make movies for other people too. He wants to get hired to yeah. direct, you know, big Hollywood screenplays and stuff, but just going around and showing people a small demo reel that maybe you've put together isn't as tangible for them as saying like, no, I've taken a project from inception of the idea through writing the script to getting the funding through shooting, editing, and and distribution, like I've seen a thing through, and here's what I what I bring. And so, even though it's not it's it's not like he was just making the movie so that he could have a calling card, but it's like you've got to start somewhere. And he was 
definitely wanting to make sure that this movie isn't just finished, but that it feels like the kind of movie that he wants to make because he wants other people to be able to see that and go, okay, so this is what Boston does. This is the, this is the kind of filmmaker that he is, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I, I certainly am anticipating whenever that movie does get released uh, or whenever it's out there, I need to, because <laughs> it certainly sounds like something interesting, especially with how he and Remy talked about it and like basically talk about how much of themselves they've really put into that with the whole entire relationship and all that kind of stuff. Like it's, it's a great story that I'm certainly excited for, but like, you know, going back to our conversation, like you've had all these great opportunities when it comes to acting and directing all this different kind of stuff, but you're not just limiting yourself as actor director. You also have your hands in some other artistic pots, mainly songwriter as well. Uh, what exactly got you interested in sort of picking up music as a way to express yourself? Yeah, so music did come later. Whereas like acting and art was always kind of there. Uh, I started songwriting when I was about 15 okay. and, um, I, I mean, it was like every kid like wants to be a rock star, if, if it, whether it's just to impress girls or whatever. Um, like I, I wanted, I would listen to to certain songwriters and be like, oh man, I want to do that, um, just because it it just seems cool. Um, but I started kind of like teaching myself how to play the piano and the guitar when I was like 14, 15, I would listen to songs on the radio over and over again that I wanted to learn. And I would like learn how to play them by ear. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I grew up singing and stuff. And so I had a kind of a foundation of like, I have an ear uh, for music. Uh, I don't necessarily like when people say perfect pitch. I don't know what they mean by that. I'm like, I, I know what they're trying to say, but I think it can't help but come across as incredibly um, like pretentious. Yeah. But <laughs> I think I do have the thing that they're talking about, which is like, I always know what key a song is in. Like right. if someone starts singing a song, like a popular song, I'll be, I'll, I know that if they're in the right key or not. Um, but that's just a thing that I think developed from just starting singing when I was young. Uh, but I had a friend of mine who I went to high school with was one of those teenage songwriters. That's actually good. Okay. You know, like, like a lot of teen kids, when they start writing songs as teenagers, they're not good at it. And it takes a while to get good at it. Um, I sucked at it um, for a long time, but my friend was like really good at it as a teenager. He was like a Connor Oberst type. Uh, his name's Chris Bjorn and he still mixes and masters like all of my stuff. He mixes and masters all of my music and my podcast to this day. Um, but he was actually like a really gifted young songwriter and he really inspired me to be like, I think I can get on Chris's level if I practice hard enough. And so I, uh, I sort of made it my goal to like impress Chris with my songwriting. And by the time I was like 20, I was like showing him some songs one day and he was like, dude, you're actually getting good at this. And then we started a band together and we played in a band together for like six years. And, um, we, we've stayed, we're bit, we, we've stayed, active as collaborators uh through our whole adult lives he's still very much a big part of what i do now and um uh yeah but i i i love songwriting it's definitely my most personal form that i engage in and mm -hmm. up until the last couple of years it was like nobody but my close friends and family knew that i wrote songs and that i played music and um all of a sudden there's all these uh new ears uh, hearing my albums that are five and six years old and and even the more recent ones and things like that and 
um, it's great. I'm so happy to have people discovering the music. And I'm also like, like I was, I had to go, I'm, I was going through my finances from this year, uh, today and I won't say what I made, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, or what I've made so far, but I had to go through cause I need to pay, um, some estimated taxes cause I'm, I'm getting a lot of like freelancer income right now. Right. Um, but my number one way I'm making money this year is through sales of my music like oh, that's wow. been my number one income stream, which is crazy it's it's crazy huh. so i wonder where those new ears came from i'm sure we'll talk about it at some point um <laughs> yeah 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 nah. but i mean it's one of those like uh, i i love what was it like I, said, I was listening to your music earlier i love on spotify you basically describe yourself aside from the mastering and mixing you're basically a one-man orchestra with how you go forth through your music, talking about topics such as self-doubt, departure from faith, recovery from addiction, um, the artistic process, all these different aspects. Uh, how – I guess it, it's kind of easy to answer this in a way, but, like, how much of yourself have you put in all your music? Like, is this just as much raw and personal, like, yourself, every single song you've put out there? Yeah, it's just my diary. If you just listen through my my albums, it's just my diary through the years. It's it's uh, there are songwriters that write like story songs where they're not really talking about themselves. Right. I like I can't help but be like the most personal when I write music, and so it's sort of my album sort of chronicled uh, my mindset and my journey as an artist and as like a a person who. Uh, struggled with addiction and who recovered, you know, from alcoholism and stuff like that. Um, and you can hear that through the years. Like I have this album, uh, the first album that's the first full length album that's on Apple music and Spotify is called far too serious to be taken seriously. And I recorded the whole album on this iPad, uh, just in garage band and did like a bunch of like garage band instrumentation and stuff. And it's really like lo-fi shitty, dirty, you know, bedroom tracks. Um, and the album's got a lot of texture and a lot of personality, but it's also like me really experimenting with like bigger production. Right. And then we go to Corey Feldman, which is my second full length album that's on streaming platforms. And I did, I wrote that while I was living in New York city and it's this album about, um, artistic insecurity and how artists, are incapable of being objective about the quality of their own work. And I got the title from Corey Feldman, who's an actor slash, mu slash musician who's pretty well known. And he's well known for having really bad music. Like he yes. writes really, really bad music. And he, I, I watched this guy and I, I felt for him because I was like, he has no idea that people think his music is, or he knows that there are people out there who don't like his music. Just like I know there's people who don't like my music. Um, but he, in his mind, he's like, I'm, I'm good at writing music. And I'm like, I don't think he is. And, uh, that lack of objectivity, his inability to have any kind of objective lens on his own work terrified the shit out of me and still kind of does to this day that it's like, I have no clue whether or not what I'm making will resonate with other people. Right. I have no idea. And there's a good chance that the reason why I haven't been more successful is because it's not that good. And so I wrote a whole album about that. Corey Feldman's all about my struggle to uh, trust that what I'm doing is any good, but also making art despite whether or not it is. Um, and also there's, there's a lot in there about my, my vices and my struggle with alcohol and, and things like that and relationships and, and all that stuff. And then uh, I got sober and um, when I turned 30 
And uh, I started writing songs for the next album, and they were very different. They were lighter and uh, more celebratory and more energetic. And I decided in sobriety that I was going to finally knuckle down and like produce the album that I'd always wanted to make and make it sound good and really like get all my production elements on point, make sure that I'm doing everything right. And um, the album, as a result, sounds cleaner than anything I've ever released. It's a lot more professional sounding and more uh kind of it's like leveled up and i also think that just the skill demonstrated from a songwriting standpoint and from a musicianship standpoint demonstrated on beautiful things which is my latest record i think it's a clear progression in like i've taken the game up a notch and people ask me this question all the time where they're like how do you feel like you've done creatively in sobriety because a lot of people who struggle with addiction and Stuff. They feel like if they stop using drugs or, or drinking, they're going to lose a part of their creative drive. Right. And I'm like, I I feel like I've thrived in sobriety. And um, um, so and another aspect of Beautiful Things, which is the latest album, um, when you, you asked the question about how personal are the songs, it's like, again, it's intensely personal. I was writing this album uh, with all these um, kind of like celebratory songs about like coming back to life and there's a song called The Comeback that's like the second song on the album that sort of like explodes and it's this like rejuvenation and um, a song called Beautiful Things, which is a title track from the album that's all about how the I, I'm inextricably tied to being an artist for the rest of my life. Like I feel called to to do this. So whether or not I'm successful at it is immaterial. Like I have to do it. Um, but while I was writing this album that was going to be my first happy album that I'd ever written, uh, my best friend um, committed suicide and it was uh, just Man. devastating I'm sorry to, hear that. to me. And yeah, thank you. Um, but he was a very big supporter of my music and uh, I couldn't release the album without including him in it. So when you listen to beautiful things, the, there's a voice that you hear at the beginning of the album. There's like a kid, a guy who's like playing in the ocean yeah. and he's like swimming yeah. and, uh, and then he's, that's him. And so, and then he's also at the end of the album. There's a song called My Dead Friend that I wrote for him. And his voice is at the end of the album, too. He's the first voice you hear on the album. He's the last voice that you hear. The album art is a portrait of him that I had commissioned. Um, I had my friend Tanner Allen do it. And, uh, yeah, it's like it's it couldn't be more uh, personal, that album. So. I, I, you know, like I said, I, I listened to that album before I, I stepped into this interview or whatnot. That, I, it both breaks my heart to hear that kind of stuff but it's also like heartwarming in a sense to know that you you made sure to honor your friend more than anything else because i can only imagine like you said he was a big supporter of your stuff like it, it it must have been hard to push through at times with this kind of stuff so i felt like it's it's great to have that tribute more than anything else to you know and i i applaud you for being able to go forth with that and make sure that was a major part of it um yeah yeah, it's been lovely um, to have him be able to be such a big part of my work. He's been a very big part of my work for the last uh, couple of years since he died. Um, on my desk here, I've got a portrait of him that sits right on my desk. And um, I actually even have a portion of his ashes on my desk. Oh. <laughs> in well, a little it, basket. Um, it's nice to know so, that he's still lingering and helping out in one aspect or another. Yeah, he's a very big part of what I do now. And I donate um, a portion of all of my music sales to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention um, in his honor. So, there you yeah, go. that's good. Also, I yeah. do want to say, you know, we were talking about how 
sobriety and all that stuff like that. Congratulations on three years of sobriety. It, it's great to hear that you've been able to stay strong with that because I can only imagine, you know, people struggling with that. It's not easy to go through that kind of, you know, trying to stay clean more than anything else. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, throughout all this kind of, you know, throughout all this, all these different things that you're trying to do as well. You still somehow found a way to also start a podcast part way through all this stuff with uh, people, <laughs> people pleaser. What exactly got you inspired to go forth and be like, you know what? Screw it. I want to start a podcast. Well, you know, I started the podcast before any of the TikTok stuff happened. Right. So it was like, I wasn't doing a whole lot. Like I was like writing songs for the album and I was, um, I had a lot of like things that were in development, but mm-hmm. nothing that was really like going off full bore. And I was sort of sitting around, I was auditioning a lot and I wasn't, and I'd wanted to start a podcast for a long time, but I couldn't really settle on an idea that I liked or a title. And so I just was sort of hung up on like superficial things. And finally I, um, I was going to name my album, my album, beautiful things. I was going to call it uh, people pleaser um, because there's a song on the album called people pleaser. And I was going to call the people pleaser. And while I was looking for a title to my podcast, I was like, you know what? That's that's actually a pretty good podcast title. I think it's a better podcast title than it is an album title. And then I had this song, Beautiful Things, and I was like, and that's a great album title. So let's just swap those two. And I started the podcast, and uh, I I had all these ideas for different podcasts that felt very limiting to me. It felt like the podcast was going to be about one thing, and I was going to run out of stuff to say on that topic within like 20 episodes. Yeah. And so I just decided, you know what? I like to talk about a lot of different things. I'm very long winded as your guests, I'm sure have heard throughout this conversation. I have no short way of saying anything. And I like to, I like to discuss ideas at length with uh, different people. Um, And so I just was like, well, I'll just do a discussion show where I talk to a different person every week and I'll just try to have like some quirkiness that like I bring to it. There's original theme music that I do for each episode that I, I compose. And I, I kind of like have a format that I think is, I think gives the show kind of some, some showmanship and, and makes it feel uh, kind of cared for and mm-hmm. professional. Um, and I started doing it and then all the TikTok stuff happened and I thought, oh, this will help get attention for my podcast. And here we are, I've got 630,000 followers on TikTok and I still only have... I, I I recently got a little bump in my podcast listeners, but I've had basically like the same core listeners since the beginning. And it's been very hard to grow the listenership for the podcast, but, um, I, I, I've had, you know. I've had this podcast for less than a year, right? And podcasts I currently have for less than a year right now. I know exactly what you mean more than anything else when it comes to like trying to grow that listenership. But at the same time, like, you know, with your podcast, like it's incredible to see, like with you, you're not just like emphasizing on a certain thing and just going forth with it. Like you made for like a specific episode, but that like that's the thing. It's like each week's like a different podcast, more or less, because it's like it's talking about like a different topic with a different person. Is there a is there a guest or is there a topic that you would have to say is like your it, like in your opinion the best one you were able to do? Like the conversation was better than you had ever anticipated. The guest was wonderful, and you were just happy with the product at the end of the day. Is there like a specific episode? or two there's two i mean there's a lot of of actually really great episodes that i really enjoyed but there's two one is uh dismantling fat phobia with my friend kelsey jepson she just really knows what she's talking about Mm -hmm. when it comes to that topic and she really just carried the brunt of the load for the conversation she just showed up ready to go and like 
and it, it, it was very quickly the, the most downloaded episode I'd ever done. It's not anymore, but it was when it first came out. And I got so much feedback on that episode from different people who were just like, it, it, felt, it feels like it's a, it's an important topic right now. Oh, yeah. um, and she, her whole social media presence uh, is about confronting and dismantling fat phobia in society. And she's doing a fantastic job with it. And the other is I had my partner, uh, Mary, on an episode to talk about fairy tales because she's a writer. Uh, she's okay. an author. And she, she, she wrote all of these short fairy tales. And we had her read one of the fairy tales live on the show. Mm-hmm. And then I, um, I composed some music to go underneath it. And we kind of had this very like theatrical moment on the show. And the amount of people to this day that still reach out to me and say like, Hey, I just listened to that fairy tales episode and like I was bawling my eyes out. They'll just be like, I like I was driving in my car and I, you know, they had like a driveway moment where they were like, I couldn't get out of the car. I just sat in the driveway and listened to the whole story. She's a, she's an incredibly gifted writer and she writes this, uh, she wrote this allegory about depression um, okay. that is just beautiful. And uh, it's, I think, one of the most powerful moments that we've definitely had on the podcast and, and, I wish more people had heard it than, than even have. Um, I mean, it's one yeah. of those, you certainly got a new listener with me because like I said, I've already listened to a couple episodes. I definitely got to go back and listen to more. Cause again, I absolutely just love like the format, you know, the, the presentation that you have for it, the guests that you bring on the topics. Like it's, it's a podcast I always crave for more than anything else. So, yeah. Yeah. So thank you for presenting that to the world. But yeah. I appreciate that, by the way. I, oh. Yeah, thank you. Oh, yeah, and, no, no, yeah. trust me. I am more than, trust me, as a podcast mm-hmm. host, I'm more than willing to, to shower other podcast hosts with, with praise more than anything else. Yeah. But, um, you know, we've been dancing around it for a little bit, but I think it's about, t- we we talk about the thing that's gotten you probably the most spotlight recently. And that's these weird commercials that you've been doing. No, I'm joking. Um, it's yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It, it's the TikToks. Uh, what exactly got you interested in being on the, the TikTok platform in the first place? That's just stuff I do. It's just stuff I've always done. And um, TikTok's been great for a lot of people the last year and a half who were already doing something like that. And and I'll, we were just sort of waiting for this platform in a lot of ways. I started making uh, internet sketches and, and, and like that in 2015. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing it for a while. Um I, tr- I experimented with Instagram because Instagram was trying to compete with Vine right. and the Instagram started doing 15 second videos instead of six second videos. So I started making these 15 second comedy sketches and then Instagram did minute long videos. And so I, I had this whole account on Instagram where I made these minute long sketches and um, it was not a popular account at all. It was followed by like a handful of my friends and family. And that was it. And, um, I did it, you know, I probably put out a video every couple of weeks. Um, and I, I experimented with Snapchat for a while. I was like doing like long, uh, stories on Snapchat where I would like, I would, I would do like a skit that would last all day long. And it would be like, if you watch my story all day long, I would like take you through a story. Right. And I would be like, like I would start it off and be like, Hey, my friend has come into town. Guess who it is? And then all day long, I'd be like, I can't wait for my friend to come to town. And then as the day went on, like, it would get weirder and weirder. I'd be like, I thought I just saw my friend, but it turned out to be, like, a pile of garbage. Like, I don't, it was weird. Like, it looked like them, and then I got closer, and then it wasn't. And then the next video, I'm like, I think someone put something in uh, some water that I had at a restaurant because 
uh, everything looks weird. And I'm like, as you watch the story throughout the day, it's like I'm tripping out and I'm like running through the streets of New York City being like, <laughs> no, 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 you know, like, and, it, and, and uh, I, I experimented with that again. It was like some friends from college that followed me on Snapchat that were like, God, this is so funny. But it never was like viral or popular in any kind of way. Um, but I, I think people who were doing what I was doing didn't have a home because Vine went away. Yeah. And it was hard to sort of make this stuff work on YouTube. And there wasn't really a place for it. And we were all kind of waiting for TikTok. Mm -hmm. And when TikTok showed up, it was like, oh, this is this is the place for what we're doing. And so I was putting a lot of my old sketches on TikTok initially and struggling to grow. And um, then TikTok did what TikTok does, and it just blasted off one of my random videos. Um, yeah. And that's what it does for everyone who starts out. It, it wants everyone to feel like they can be successful there. That's how the app is designed. Right. Um, and the only way to really like – what most people don't realize is that if you want to sustain that, you need to be like kind of relentless about it for like – for like a year you need to like go like once you get a little bit of kindling from those first couple of viral videos uh you're gonna get frustrated because then after those videos your your views are gonna tank and you're and you're gonna be like well, what the hell how come i can't get three hundred thousand views anymore um you need to like go hard and yeah and 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 hit that so once I, I started hitting it like three times a day because a friend of mine who has like five million followers was like you need to hit it like three times a day um, my growth started being like exponential on that platform and uh, it just it it's just been kind of a wild ride like it's 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 fed everything else the way I want it to yeah. not at the rate that I would think it would but like I now have like a solid subscriber base on like YouTube Twitter Instagram just because I think of TikTok um, still working on getting people over to the podcast yeah, and still working, working on Still working on getting people to more people to get to listen to the music, but um, but yeah, uh, TikTok definitely is like my main my main squeeze right now, and it's like my main jam. So I was gonna say more than anything else, you know, with all those platforms and whatnot, <laughs> any sort of growth is gonna be a good growth, nevertheless, because I mean, you're you're developing an audience and you're potentially bringing in more revenue, which is what you know a lot of people are trying to go for. Also, uh, the friend that you were talking about, that's London Laz, right? That was talking about doing it three times a day. It is London Last. Yes. I listened yeah. to that episode of the podcast. Wonderful guest right there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good guy. <laughs> he's a great guy. Um, yeah. But nevertheless, like for you, like again, you, you probably went on here like just trying to find a platform for these ideas that you've probably had built up for a while, more or less. The What was the first video for you to really like go off and like really develop something? Was it the uh, – I was trying to think. Was it the how I got 30-something subscribers the first day? It is that. <laughs> that is the video. Wow, good on you. Mm -hmm. um, it is that video. Uh, funny enough, that it's so indicative of how TikTok works. I never in a million years could have guessed that that video would have like been the thing. Mm -hmm. um, it was just such a simple, random thought that I had. I had like this idea to be like, oh, I've seen people on TikTok being like, here's how I got 50,000 followers in two months. Uh, and I was like, wouldn't it be funny if I did a video that said, here's how I got 34 followers in six months. <laughs> and, uh, and I, it was just this stupid idea and I shot it in like f five minutes, threw it together on the app. Um, super simple. And it, it, I say it blew up. It, it, it's relatively small views compared to what I get now, 
but for me it was like the most views i'd ever had on anything i'd ever made it was right. it was crazy um and that's still how it works to this day that video recently i had a video that's right now at like 18 million views and i never would have guessed that it would have been that video never would i it still works that way i'm constantly shocked at what at the videos that become the viral hits today i posted a video that like i think is some of my goddamn best work and it just it just didn't go and um and i i never know i literally never know what's gonna be a hit and what's gonna be a, a dud right um, so I just, I just keep throwing stuff up I mean, it's, if nothing else, it's always that kind of just, you know, toss the sun at the wall and something will eventually catch steam. I remember listening to that podcast. London was talking about, like, that's how the system works, more or less. Like, if you keep putting stuff up there, something has to be trending. There is going to be a trending video. I love some of the ones that did get trending for you, though. Like, what was it? The uh, the big one that really blew up, that really put you on the map more than anything else was the uh, the clapback of, like, you know, you're not offended. You're just trying to put yourself or something like that in a stereotype or whatnot. Yeah. That. that that video like blew up <laughs> yeah you're not getting bullied and like that was the whole phase where it was like so i had been struggling to grow for a while i i i was stuck at like ten thousand followers for like six months mm -hmm. and then i had like in a row it was delete your account i you're not getting bullied and turtleneck and blazer were like yeah. boom 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 and those three videos were like the catalyst to boosting me from 10,000 to a hundred thousand. And then once I was at a hundred thousand, I just started like hitting it. Oh. Um, uh, we've just been just go riding that wave since then. And then most recently, the biggest video I've ever done is congratulations. The one that has 18 million followers, which is or 18 million views. It's 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 yeah. we it's weird, but it's, it's, it's hilarious. And like, I, like you said, you know, it, it's simple or what, or it, like, I, I would say, like, it looks simple, but I think you could probably attest to this. It's not really simple, especially the ones that you put a lot of hard work into. I remember you talking about you put upwards of, like, six to ten hours into a video sometimes. Yeah, it's, I definitely put in more work than the average creator. I know that for sure. Like, I know that there's a lot of people on there with, like, two, three million followers who, like, their whole thing is them just holding the phone in their hand mm -hmm. and just talking to the camera. And I, I do those videos from time to time. I'll do a video where I'm like responding to a comment or something. And it's not like fancy. It's not, it's not a whole production. It's just me talking to the camera, but there are people who have millions of followers who only do that, who are just talking and it's like 15 to 30 seconds long per video. And I can't imagine that those videos are very hard to produce. And I put in like, I put in work. Like I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm producing like short films on TikTok. Like I'm, I'm, but you know, um, that's just my personal, I, I like doing that. I like kind of putting out high quality uh, kind of thrill rides of videos and trying to like challenge myself. Um, but sometimes it's like the stuff that feels really simple in concept and in execution that does the best. And um, it's sort of trying to find that line of like, it can't be too fancy. It can't be, if you get too fancy, it's almost a, a strike against you. You have to like walk that line of like, kind of homemade fancy like it needs to feel homemade steel still and, and diy and like something that the that the audience could replicate if they wanted to um yeah because i imagine for yeah. like a, a lot of people like they can easily especially if it's like super duper overproduced they think they can like see through the bullshit because you know there's a lot of big companies out there that are probably trying their best to recreate the tiktok magic or the vine magic that people had out there back in the day so 
Right. That like it could feel too too fancy. It's suspiciously fancy. Like you've got some like some corporate backing or something, you yeah. know. This feels like a commercial or something. Like, what are you trying to sell me here? Yeah. The TikToks that you have out there are absolutely amazing. I love seeing like the ones that produce. They're one of the few TikToks I actually pay attention to, to be honest. Like that that's just me personally. So I love seeing like the production that you've put into it. Um, but I mean, you have your hands with like, you know, TikToks, podcasts, acting, music, all this kind of stuff. I want to go to more or less like the dream scenario for you. Let's say I'm big shot, Mr. Moneybags. I come to you and I'm like, look, Austin, everything you've had your hand in is absolutely gold and we absolutely love it. If given the opportunity with unlimited funds and connections to anyone and everyone in the industry, what would be the dream Austin project? We're going to start making movies and we're going to start by making a movie called Marty has cancer that I'm trying to get made right now. Okay. And um, it's, uh, again, I talked about my friend. That's a big part of my, my, my art lately. Um, I wrote this play about him before he died and, uh, he got to see it. And, uh, everyone that came and saw the play was like, this feels like a movie. Like we did it in LA too. We did it in LA and Salt Lake and, uh, in LA, some producers came and saw it and they were like, this feels like a movie. And so they were like, do you think you could develop it into a screenplay? And so I, I did that. And then I got, found a production company in Utah that wanted to develop it and, and make it. And so we shot the first 15 minutes of it in December, mm -hmm. which was really cool. It was really surreal um, to be like shooting this thing that I wrote um, uh, that's based on loosely based on my friend. Um, and, uh, Anyway, we've been we're now in the process where we're trying to put together a pitch deck and, and and raise money. It's unlike anything I've ever tried to do before because the amount of money we need to raise is just so ludicrous because movies just cost so much money. And we're like making a cheap movie. We're making a inexpensive movie. But if you were like, what do you want to do? That's the that's the answer is let's make this movie. Let's okay. get the movie made. Yeah. I mean, since this is something that you're currently working on, let's get back to reality for a second here. Five yeah. to ten years from now, would that be like the path that you want to go on, making this movie and making other amazing movies? Like, realistically, is that the path that you see yourself going to? Yeah, it, I mean, look, I'll be happy if in five years I'm still just getting freelance gigs to write jingles for commercials and for podcasts and stuff. Like, mm -hmm. if I'm still making money uh, writing music, that will that will be more than enough. Like. I, I, when I, when I do this like future tripping and dreaming and stuff, like I got to make it clear that like, I've, I'm happy with my life and I am, I'm grateful for what, for what I have. Um, but, uh, if, if it's dream scenario, then like, hell yeah, I would love it if someone saw what I do on TikTok and stuff and went like, I feel like this guy's got like a good eye for, um, storytelling and for like aesthetic and for if they, if they like my vibe and they were like let's see what he could do with you know or if they go over to my youtube and, and look at some of the music videos that i've directed and made that are a little bit more like professional and we shot them on nicer cameras yeah. and they look a little bit more cinematic it's like if i if someone would give me a shot at at, at directing um some films and if i could get into that space that would be uh really kind of like the ultimate thing is like getting to make movies because um, I'm a, a writer as well and getting to be like a writer director, like, a, you know, a Wes Anderson or a Richard Linklater or okay. uh, one of some of these people like I love Richard Linklater and I, and his writing style is very similar to mine. And I don't write like Wes Anderson does. No one writes like Wes Anderson does. Um, I, 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 I would, I would make movies much more like a, a Richard Linklater movie or something like that. Everything feels like an indie. It feels very 
simple and honest and and really based in just sort of human nuance and reality. Okay. No, that's fair enough. All right. Um, well, with all that, as we're winding down the interview, I have one last question that I do want to ask. Um, obviously, yeah. you're like deeply rooted when it comes to art and all sorts of different aspects. I, I've gone over it many times over. How important is art, not just for you, but for the world as a whole? Uh, so much more than we than we act like it is. Uh, you saw with the pandemic, there were relief packages for everyone. There were there were relief packages for so many industries. There were. The huge. I was. I, I'm. A, I'm. I was a server at the time. I had to go on furlough from my job as a server, and lucky. Luckily, I never had to go back because all the TikTok stuff started taking off. Um, but there were all these packages, like funds, getting put together to help out um, service industry workers. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. There should have been. And there were funds getting put together to help out to help subsidize teachers and things like that. Um, theater artists and actors largely just lost their jobs, and like no one gave a shit. Yeah musicians who tour for a living and that's what they do is like they like rely on tour dates and on uh playing those gigs for money they just lost their livelihood and there was it just was like nothing was done to subsidize or help these people now you can improvise and kind of do what i did and be like cool so i'm not getting a lot i'm not going to get any theater jobs in the next who knows how long so i might as well you know do what a lot of actors and people did like go on TikTok and see if I can get the attention of some advertisers and like make some brand money and stuff like that. But not everyone, that's not everyone's skill set. That's not in everyone's toolbox to just become an internet content creator overnight. Um, Art is incredibly massively important. And if we were to lose it tomorrow, if it just went away and we didn't have it, uh, we would be so much worse off uh, because of that. And, uh, uh, I feel like the fact that we lost the communal experience of going to the theater, not just the movies, but the live theater, like live arts, going to a venue and watching a band play live, and we lost that experience. Like we lost something integral to our to our experience as a as a community oh, yeah. uh, over the last year and a half. As soon as I could go see movies again in the theater, I was back doing it. Even though like I'm a big supporter of cdc guidelines and of wearing masks and social distancing and doing your part to help slow the spread i was like hey if i can go see a movie safely where there's like a row of distance between me and the nearest person i am going to the theater to see a movie because it's important i believe that that experience of consuming stories in that way for me it's important and i believe it's important to our society that like we need this stuff. It is valuable beyond it's beyond a dollar amount. It is spiritually valuable for us to be able to uh, engage with stories in this way. There we go. There we go. Uh, with that, that's all the questions that I have. Uh, Austin, I, I've already showered you with a lot of praise, but I'm going to shower you with a little bit more real quick because it's my podcast. I do what I want. <laughs> um, now, it's one of those, like I said, you, you certainly grab my attention with the TikToks. That's what, you know, probably – a majority of your audience these days, they get your attention from there. But like looking into your profile a little bit more and seeing just all the stuff that you've had your hand in and seeing all the stuff you've been involved with. It's honestly inspiring to seeing that, you know, throughout all this time, throughout all the struggles that you've had, you've been able to keep on pushing and keep on succeeding in one aspect or another. And if this is what you're doing right now, and you've only like basically brushed the surface when it comes to what could potentially happen for you. Like I can only be nothing short of excited to see what's going to happen next. So I'm going to be one of thousands at this point and hopefully millions someday. That'll be rooting for you every single step of the way. Cause we want to see what more you can do. If this is the, the kind of stuff you're putting your talents towards right now, if given the opportunity, I can imagine you just 
blow everyone away. So thank you for what you do. That's really, really nice of you to say, man. You've been really, really nice this entire um, talk, and I really, really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun, and I just appreciate all of the very kind things that you said and, and appreciate the time. Uh, for those who may not already know for one reason or another, go ahead and plug yourself for the people at home. Your pal underscore Austin on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. People Pleaser with Austin Archer is my podcast. Please listen to it. Please listen to it. You can find it. my music. Yeah, you can find my music by looking up Austin Archer on Spotify or Apple Music. AustinArcherMusic.bandcamp.com is where my music is sold. If you want to support it monetarily, Patreon.com slash Austin Archer. I got a Patreon. Um, I've got an album coming out on August 6th that's going to be on Bandcamp exclusively. Oh, it's okay. volume two of my volume two of my TikTok songs. The first one sold really, really well and was very popular. Uh, it's got like Turtleneck and Blazer and You're Not Getting Bullied and all of those songs on it. Volume two is coming out on August 6th. It's got such hits as America Sucks and Vaxxed Waxed and Wearing Slacks. There you go. And uh, Congratulations and um, Mustache Respect Part 1 and 2. Good good songs. So check that out August 6th. By the way, I forgot to say this sooner. When it comes to your mustache, looking back at your back catalog, I saw your performance in Blood and Oil. It's jarring to see you without a mustache. It really is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It is weird. Do you have yeah. any final words before we sign off? That's... Uh, I don't know. Just, just you know, keep doing what you're doing out there, and and uh, and fuck the haters. <laughs> there you go. Fuck the haters. Uh, with yeah. that, all I've left to say is for the people at home, hasta luego, mi amigos. Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to apocalypsepodcastnetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard. 